Hello everyone and welcome to this new and, as always, very timely episode of She Says Says in partnership with The Drum and Frank and Lively. My name is Naomi Taylor and I'll be your host today and I'm delighted to be joined at Scramble Studios in Soho by two fantastic guests. Hello. Hi. We have Nina Salamons, journalist at the publisher VR Focus, who has just taken over the leadership of the VR Diversity Initiative. Hi, Nina. Hello. How's it going? Good, nice good. to have you here. And we are also very lucky to have So Meyer, a co-founder of Raising Films, which is an organisation that aims to support women in the film industry who are going to start a family, and not only women, but carers as well, who feel their careers are negatively impacted. Uh, thank you both for joining us today. So, Thanks for having us. Thank you. Um, we have two quite different industries in different stages, I feel. One very traditional, one very new which converge massively uh, and they have very similar issues in terms of diversity and equality. Um, it's 2018, we're not strangers to the discourse of sexist culture in the film industry, but so I'd love to hear more about how uh, Raising Films came about into the world and what your ambitions are for Raising Films this year. Raising Films came about in 2015 out of frustration out of a conversation between emerging filmmakers who generally work in low budgets about what do you do if from your low budget you also have to pay for childcare. There goes your fee as a director. If you're a parent, you can't go and sleep on someone's sofa while you make a micro-budget film. So Raising Films came out of a conversation in the community and we decided to launch with a crowdfunder to find out were we the only people having this conversation? And it turned out there were so many stories, stories from people at the beginning of their career, stories from people who are incredibly senior in the industry, like um, Beban Kidron, um, who told stories that she'd never told before about being a parent and the impact that had had on her work in Hollywood. It just felt like there was, this had never been discussed before. And it's not like there've never been filmmakers who are parents, most male filmmakers are parents, but they have a support system and staff at home, commonly referred to as a wife. (laughs) (laughs) Wifey. The wifey. And we also talked to a lot of um, younger male filmmakers who wanted to be or were being um, equal parents who were struggling. They were struggling to get recognition from their team or their line manager that their caring work was valid. Um, in the case of same-sex parents or male carers, this is even harder. And we just heard a lot of frustration, but mm-hmm. we also heard a lot of talent and we heard a lot of creative solutions that were going missing or not being applied, even though they were so simple and made for... Um, happier, more humane workplaces for everyone. Yeah. And that just became our ambition was to amplify these stories, to try and codify them into some kind of good practice that would encourage the industry to see that this wasn't a burden. It was actually incredibly generative and productive to be including people you've trained for years who then suddenly in their late 20s or mid 30s you've decided a too much hassle to keep on even though they might be the best at their job just because they've done what humans have done for well forever and reproduced yeah (laughs) no that's great and um how how do you feel this year's going obviously the amplification of all the conversations around 
hashtag me too movement mm-hmm. and um the focus on the film industry in general how do you feel that has affected raising films well i'm really interested to hear about this from the vr perspective because as you said film is an old industry it's been around for a century now and there's a lot of very entrenched attitudes and behaviors exactly that i think have exploded into public consciousness. People who work in film and television have been aware of these things for a long time. We published a report last July called Raising Our Game Mm -hmm. about discrimination towards parents and carers, but it became a larger study of discrimination and harassment across the industry as a whole and how people treat that as a cost of working in an industry that they're told they're privileged to work in particularly if they're women or if they're from a marginalised background or if they have a disability, there's an attitude that you're privileged to be working in an industry that generally would exclude you. So it's been very exciting and encouraging to see this conversation expanding. Mm -hmm. People really thinking about film as a workplace, not some fun fairy candy land where it's just you just princess around having a marvellous time. It's a workplace where people work really hard in incredibly demanding sometimes difficult and dangerous circumstances Mm -hmm. and there's a duty of care on employers towards everyone who works for them and that's I think what we want to see recognised this year we're crowdfunding at the moment to ensure that we can continue drawing attention to these issues providing training for companies to recognise where they can do better around discrimination and around uh, employee protection Brilliant no, that's it. It's an excellent cause and something that needs to sort of be discussed and progress so much this year. Can I quickly add to that, if that's all right? Yeah. Um, I, I think it's really interesting that you're doing this. So last year I was part of Modern Tales, which is BAME, uh, emerging young filmmakers. Mm-hmm. Um, and I actually think one of the reasons why uh, the VR Diversity Initiative spawned, especially with me <laughs> leading it, is because I actually was coming from the film industry. I've studied filmmaking for six years and I've encountered so much, so much difficulty, so much sexism, so much... Uh, also, there's, a, I guess, an age gap as well where I was finding with my studies uh, women, especially women who were... There's no other word to describe, but I, I would say almost a little bit uh, jealous of the fact that, you know, there were younger up-and-coming filmmakers who hadn't started a family who didn't have children, mm-hmm. and it was easier because of that. And there was there was a lot of... Instead of sort of joining up and being a great mentor and, and helping younger girls out in the industry, it was almost like a... oh A competition, Yeah, maybe. exactly, yeah. which was a shame. Um, so I completely, you know, I, I applaud you for doing this. And it's a shame, I think, that Bektu isn't able to help out or be part of that greater conversation of, of a union. I Bektu have been really supportive and they are working with Equity and the Trade Unions Congress, particularly around um, rights for single parents who are freelancers. So they're looking at it on this much bigger scale. Well, I, hope, I hope it helps with taxes yeah. because they, yeah. they increase the taxes for uh, self-employed. They, they have um, and obviously um, Tracy Braben the MP for Batley and Spen had a bill in the house this week around sharing parental leave for freelancers which mm. is a tiny change that would cost the state nothing but I think would mitigate some of that historic frustration that you're pointing to and we want to facilitate that transgenerational conversation as well we know there's a lot of Um, wisdom and experience for older filmmakers but who have seen their careers frustrated who have had to leave the industry or move Mm -hmm. sideways into equally valid jobs in teaching or development but may want to move back into the industry and there's no reason why 
older and younger filmmakers shouldn't be working, as you say, pulling together, working together to realise projects that address multi-generational mm. communities. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of the, in particular, women we've talked to also find, have faced a problem where at the moment they're ready to go back into the workplace because their kids have gone to university. They're finding themselves caring for partners mm-hmm. and parents. Yeah. And we want younger emerging filmmakers to be conscious of of these issues as well. You can choose to be a parent in most cases, but it's not always a choice to become a carer. Mm-hmm. And Nina, um, it's... You know, we've spoken about how uh, the VR industry is a lot younger and doesn't have the sort of historical sexist culture that has existed in the film industry (laughs) for so so long, decades. Um, But there is still big problems with the D word, which is diversity. It is, as a tech industry, represented predominantly by males. Uh, Why do you think this is? Um, so the the reason why the virtual reality diversity initiative was started was actually um, my boss, Kevin Joyce, who's actually the editor and CEO. Uh, he came out of the game industry and mm-hmm. the game industry is predominantly male. And I used to be a big gamer as well when I was in high school. I had a YouTube gaming channel. I, I did a documentary about female representation in video games. Amazing. Um, and I realized the huge differences of the way you were treated online. And when you said that you played video games as well as a woman, it was regarded as something that was male. It was regarded as something that was nerdy. You were looked down upon. And um, actually, my like three best friends, we became best friends because we played video games together. And we realized we had this common thing after university. We were too embarrassed to talk about it. Wow, um, So I, I did that documentary uh, and I, I realized there were all of these separate issues in the gaming industry that you know, weren't that great. And then I decided to put all my energies into filmmaking, which is what I was studying. And in the filmmaking industry, I realized that it was, I would say, if you wanted to go into the production side, become a producer, become an actual senior role position in filmmaking as a producer, as a director, potentially even as a writer, it just, you were, I was just hitting so many walls continuously. um, There were definitely a lot of etiquettes that were incorrect on set I would say um, and as well I mean I, I took lots of different roles on the film industry from pre-production to production to post-production and from you know I was interning at working title pictures from seeing just a dress code uh, of, of how people expected certain individuals to dress or when you were on set the you know, there would be jokes of men saying, oh, let's, you know, bring on a, a second AC as a woman. We need a woman on set just to have mm-hmm. a woman on set. They would yeah. they would have her as more of a, a body rather than mm-hmm. as her skills. Um, right. And I realized I was thinking that, wow, this is so terrible. Well, what am I going to do? And I found out about virtual reality um, and augmented reality. <laughs> and I realized that this is a perfect mixture of gaming and filmmaking. Yeah. Um, and that's kind of how I, I got into it. Once I got into it, I realized that if you go to all of these conferences, you go to all of these events, you are mostly surrounded by testosterone. And you feel yeah. it. You walk into the room and you there's this, this dominance. You know, it's kind of like you walk into a male 
a locker room and you mm-hmm. walk in and you're like, oh God, have I walked into the <laughs> wrong room? Is this the right place to go? And there, may, there might be like one other woman I can spot along the way and we'll, we'll give each other a nod yeah. <laughs> of acknowledgement. A knowing nod. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so the gaming, uh, the virtual reality and augmented reality scene is primarily dominated by men, I think, because of the tech industry, because they have been dominated by men. And also, I think they've just had, you know, engineering, computer science, all of that stuff that's mostly been um, encouraged in young boys as they grow up rather than than women. And I, you, there's definitely a change happening right now in the tech scene um, and, you know, recent events in Silicon Valley have kind of, you know, raised those questions. But uh, it's it's still really difficult. And here in the UK, I would like to add that I've, I think there's also a class thing as well going on that I think most people don't want to talk about. But I think as mm-hmm. a sort of a non-UK person, I, I can sort of see, see it from the outside. Um, so especially in the UK, and you can see it with the conversation that happens with Brexit, uh, and sort of all of the cities and populations outside of the cities that there is this push and pull between who has the right, who deserves the right to have the jobs. Um, now, for virtual, augmented and mixed reality, this is the future. You cannot deny that these are future jobs and people might not know that yeah. they exist yet and that that's what happened to me. And I feel everyone should have a right for this future there cannot be a select few the old guard to to have control of this it's unfair Mm -hmm. people should have equal right to it and they should have also all everyone just like in film just like in gaming they have different views and opinions and that's lacking that's missing you can see in all of the things that are created now in netflix they're taking risks that like the bbc and hollywood uh, executive studios cannot make Mm-hmm. because it's too risky. They, they're they following the old models of how to make money. Uh, they're following the old models of uh, the stories to tell. And you can slowly see that there's a change happening in America, especially with indie films and documentaries yeah. and in video games now you see sort of, you know, up and coming film, uh, filmmakers and developers and storytellers that they're trying to tell different stories. And I think that's really great. It needs to happen with the new emerging tech as well. We cannot have the same thing happen here we have to learn from our lessons now and implement it into a new emerging technology the, the virtual reality diversity initiative i call it vrdi because it's just a, such sure. a long name yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> so one of the biggest problems that you face uh, as an ordinary mortal or public citizen <laughs> is that it is really expensive to go into virtual reality yeah. uh, i thought you know filmmaking was expensive as an art form my parents were thinking you know how much money does it cost to make a film minimum i'd say oh it's five five grand they're like what? That's ridiculous. <laughs> Why can't you just pick up some paints and <laughs> do that? But um, to get a, a PC that you know is VR ready would be two and a half grand, I'd say, wow. and then a headset on top of that would be about I don't know two fifty. Add the sensors and the things you're talking about three and a half grand, and that's yeah. without the software. That's without learning and the training and the skills. So what we've done for the VRDI is that for one day. Participants who get chosen get free access to this hardware and software, get trained. And these are people who really want to go into the industry. We give them access to the hardware, to the software. They learn how to create a virtual reality prototype in a single day. Mm -hmm. And this is kind of that pivotal moment. It's like, do I really want to go into this industry? Is it really worth the pain and the hassle and all of the difficulties that come with it? Um, And I want to say yes, 
you know, because this it's too expensive for anybody to really learn. It's it's not possible. Yeah, that's so, where the class divide comes in. Exactly. And, yeah, it's just so, not accessible for people. But what you guys are doing is really brilliant to allow people to be able to learn the skills that they mm-hmm. need to get into the industry. Yeah, so we're we're trying. I'm trying to partner up with recruitment firms and um, mm-hmm. other other arms of, I suppose, the government to uh, to sort of to p- participants to go into a database. They then get because there's so many different sectors you can go into. You can go into healthcare. You can go into architecture. You can go into entertainment. You could go into music and every single thing. It's just a completely new medium. So we want to kind of you know do a mentorship scheme and try and get money to get them into the right companies, get them trained up. So that um, by the time that, you know, companies are looking to tick that diversity box, they can say, okay, we've got someone here who wants to learn, who's eager, who's keen, and we have the support uh, and a network to really bring them into our company and do something about it. That's brilliant. And how do you, I'd love to know, how do you choose people um, to come into the program? Right. So uh, there are certain categories that you need to tick in order to apply. Uh, So we chose underrepresented groups that are in tech. So LGBTQ, Mm -hmm. African, Asian, ethnic minorities, individuals with disabilities, women and individuals from lower income background. Uh, The participants who are selected will have little to no knowledge of uh, creating a virtual reality experience. They could have tried absolutely no virtual reality before. They might have heard about it and might be curious. Um, others would be considering a career in a virtual augmented or mixed reality space and others know about it, have tried it and want to add it to their existing role that they have now or at the company that they're at. Right. So it's really uh, all of these different categories that you have to tick. Uh, and it's, I want to see these people when I go out to conferences yeah. and uh, see different companies. I'd love to see a changing of faces. So that's the, the plan for this year then? Yes, we are doing our first event on the 28th of February at Hobbs Mm -hmm. Studio. We've chosen 23 participants to take uh, part of the workshop. Um, And we are doing six other events this year that'll be in different locations. So we've had a lot of people in Brighton and Manchester and Bristol say that they want access to it. And hopefully the plan is to grow, to show to different companies that there is a huge demand for people who don't have access, want to learn. Uh, I want to go into the industry and give them that kind of like foot up to get them through the door and then showcase them this is the right way to go that's ha- that this is what you have to avoid um and we're going to be working together with different communities who um potentially fit one of these categories and um work together with them to demo virtual augmented reality um and potentially give them future jobs so, so for this one hob studio has an academy mm-hmm. uh, and anybody that wants to, wants to work in architecture 3d printing um augmented reality they work with the government so they do things like uh, the underground crossrail oh, cool. uh, huge you know development projects and they're training young kids who haven't gone to university in, in the stratford area mm-hmm. to learn these skills to work for them so anybody that you know goes to this workshop can have a look at the studio um, is interested in working could potentially you know get trained and end up working in the industry and then have a job yeah brilliant cool I don't want to be a feminist killjoy but I am going to be one for a moment that's fine (laughs) I think this is all incredibly exciting because it sounds like VR as a new industry is trying not to repeat 
the errors of the industrial entertainment forms that we've had for the last century. But we also know that 50% of film school graduates are female. And when you get to the percentage of people who make their first feature, it's nothing like 50%, maybe 5%. So the attrition rate between equal opportunities in training and equal opportunities in employment is, I think, the next challenge. Exactly. It sounds like you're mm-hmm. up for that challenge and you have ideas about it, working with recruitment companies um, from the off. One of the things that we've seen with Raising Films is there's a lot of training initiatives aimed at the people who already have skills. What they need is jobs. What they need is contacts. What they need is management who recognise that they deserve to be in the room. We would like to see training for management. We'd like to see training for HR and, in fact, training for producers and line, man- and line producers who've never had any HR training but are essentially hiring people. They don't understand what equality and diversity means. They don't necessarily know the legal dimensions of it. So there's another both sides Mm -hmm. of the industry have to be trained so that when you go into the room with your incredible VRDI kite marked training and you've worked for these exciting companies the person sitting on the other side of the desk sees your experience and not your identity and I think maybe that's going to happen faster in the tech industry and VR because there is a real hunger for new talent for new ways of seeing but it's so entrenched in the film industry and I think we have a lot to learn from what you're doing well like, like you said I, i've taken things and stuff from other areas so gaming and film would definitely be one of them but the virtual reality space actually has a huge number of women and the woman in vr group on facebook is humongous and you Great. go to all of the other places uh that have to do with gaming or tech and there will there will be a meetup where yeah. uh, those groups will be meeting and that's really fantastic um, I used to run uh, Un- Unfold, which used to be Women in VR in London with uh, Luciana and Amandine. And because I'm doing this, I had to sort of bow out of it. Um, mm. But in the UK and in Europe, nothing like this really exists yet. Um, yeah. And uh, this is done through VR Focus. I, I work for VR Focus. I'm the media content mm-hmm. producer for VR Focus. I do all the interviews that are video um or like Skype, and uh, we know all of the virtual augmented reality companies. And, you know, it, there has been an incredible amount of support because because we know about the hardware, the software, we know about all the people in the spaces, we've got those connections. So I think it's really great that, you know, VR fo- through VR Focus's network, we're yeah. able to kind of reach out to the right companies. And there's there's been companies in Australia, in Canada, that are like, yeah, we'll take people on, we'll train them. Brilliant. And that's fantastic. fantastic. Yeah. Uh, these people have no... And there's, you know, there's a lot of demand for it in countries that don't speak English, which would be a little bit more difficult, like Italy and mm-hmm. in France. And they're all little hubs that are growing. And there's so many different people who are saying, we want this. We want this. How can we get it? And right now, we're, <laughs> we're trying to grow. We're trying to get the sponsorship. Grow, grow slowly and then grow bigger. Yeah. Um, and then the hope is to eventually take it to other places that have no VR. So really, it, it would be, you know, starting from the ground up and, and mm-hmm. introducing and imagining the worlds. We're we're using high-end virtual reality headsets. So we're using the HTC Vive and Oculus Rift. Mm-hmm. And most people use the Google Cardboard or Samsung Gear. They might yeah. not have experienced this type of virtual reality. And I swear to you, once you try these, it's like stepping into the matrix or into a dream to yeah. some degree. And there will be moments when you're at you're completely frightened and you think it's the worst thing in the world but at the same time there's so much potential and you just have to give people the opportunity to imagine 
and give them a future that they that they can build. Yeah. Um, so one of the things that I found in filmmaking is that I can make a film about living in Africa and seeing, you know, lots of people dying in front of me, and I have. Um, but if I make a film about it, it's a 2D screen. Now, when it comes to virtual reality, I am putting you into this story and this world that you can create. And it's not my story anymore. It's your story. You can really make mm -hmm. your own your own journey and it will have that personal impact on you because it's yours and it's not yeah. mine. It's and a lot I, more physical as well. Exactly. exactly. And mm. the, the possibility of all these other people who are not represented in this space, they can bring so many new features and things that we could never imagine. Because and stories as well. Yeah. yeah. So that it's so important to bring them in. And I think it's vital to start now at the very beginning. I organized a hackathon last year um, which was all about surgery, so virtual reality and surgery. It sounds okay. a little bit crazy. I wanted to do cosmetic surgery, but it was too early. Um, and, <laughs> in and the, the morning, you mean? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, the whole idea of scanning your body and potentially right. being able to see what your lungs look like if you were to smoke too much and then, you know, showing yeah. that in, in virtual reality. Yeah. But um, these things are great, like hackathons and game jams, creating something. And the group that won out of that hackathon are now bringing CPR training to the NHS. Fantastic. So that's wow. with virtual reality and a dummy. And they're called Jewgood. You should ch you know, check them out. But mm -hmm. th that's what I'm talking about. That's an immediate change from last year to right now. They're implementing a virtual reality training simulator to help save people's lives. I mean, that's a perfect example of what can be done. Yeah. Brilliant. Well, thank you, Nina. Thank you so. It's been thank great you. to have you here today. Thank you very much. And thank you all very much for listening to this episode of She Says Says in partnership with The Drum and Frank and Lively. Thanks for listening. Mm -hmm.